You keep keep playing the song behind me. You know, um, as we were singing that song, I was thinking, and you may be seated. Um, I was sitting here thinking that, you know, we see sing these things, and maybe even you grew up in a home where you were taught to trust God with what you're going through in your life. Um, and so it's easy for us to say that we do that, but it's harder for us to actually physically do that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just part of being human, right? That's just part of being a human being that it's difficult to trust a God that we, we have not physically seen, right? It's easier to trust sometimes a friend, right? And so we put our hope in relationships or it's easier to trust a job because we're getting a paycheck on a regular basis. So we put our hope in that or it's easier to trust a shelter over our heads, um, our homes, um, because those feel like, look like protection. Um, but those things are so fleeting. Um, and often we experience in life that those things are here today, gone tomorrow, we become secure in those things. We hold on to them. We hold on to these relationships tightly. They become the source of our hope because they're physical. They're before us. We become hold on to our homes, our property, our things, material possessions, because they become the source of our hope because we can see them, right? Um, and, and when those things don't exist um, or something major happens in our life, we've made no space, no preparation for those things um, which are ultimately temporary and fleeting to not be there. And then our hope, um, our joy, right, our peace, our very existence begins to crumble um, because we put our hope in things that were never intended to have our hope to begin with. And this song says, I'll trust you. And that's me saying, um, I'm having a loose grip on the things of this world. I'm letting them go, right? And I'm grabbing hold of God and I'm going to trust him. Now, in this room, you know, there's all diversity of um, just trials and hardships that we're going through as a church. Um, some of those you've, you've spoken and we've prayed about those. And if you have one you want us to pray about, feel free to write it on one of the back of one of the cards and we'll continue praying about it. Um, but some are unspoken and we don't have any clue that they exist. And maybe it's just an internal battle or an internal struggle. And I feel like God is challenging us as a church today to be a people who more fully trust him with whatever we're going through in life. And so I want to just spend a moment praying with you. Um, whatever it is that, that, uh, that you need to trust God with, right? Whatever it is that you need to let go of um, that has your hope, right? Um, yeah, begin letting go of it and trusting God with it. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you are an eternal God. God, I love the scripture that says that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God, we have hope that you were there at the beginning. And God, we have trust that you'll be there at the end. And that your very being will stand, right? Um, uh, undefeated, right? Uh, unconquered. Not overpowered, but that your power will be clearly seen in the destiny that you've prepared for us. So God, we thank you that you are a God from beginning to end. That you are God in the midst of the storm and you see us through. That you are God that gives us memory. 
God, and that memory has been captured in the scriptures, but that memory is also captured in our homes and our families. And we can say, I've been through a storm too difficult for me to imagine, but there was a God that kept me there. There was a God that held me there. There was a God that surrounded me there. And I'm safe and I'm secure and I'm standing to tell the story because of that God and his presence and his power. God, in this room, there's many that are going through difficult things in their lives. and God, you know them all. God, you knew them before they came in, God. Before they blew in, before the trouble came, God, you knew all about it. You knew that it would exist. You knew that it was coming. You equipped us for it. You prepared it for us for it. God, and you knew that you were strong enough to carry us through. And so, God, I just pray that you help us as individuals, that you help us as a church to begin letting go of our hope that is placed in relationships and homes and material possessions and jobs and whatever else we put our hope in and begin surrendering it to you. God, help us to be able to say, even though I can't see, and my hope will rest in you. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, Tri-Cities Church. <laughs> good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. I, I'm, I'm excited this morning, actually. We're um, continuing our James series, and I've uh, wanted to preach or teach through the book of James for a long time. And just never had the opportunity and, and never, uh, I, I both never had the opportunity and this, I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, but also I, I just don't like long sermon series. And so, um, I typically don't preach through books because I, I get tired of them before, um, before I make it through. Um, but we're in the book of James for, I said last week, 13 weeks. We're probably in the book of James for 13 more weeks at least. Uh, we'll, we'll be here for a while. So maybe, maybe during your, um, during your, your time, um, during the week, maybe you have a time in the morning where you maybe read scriptures or pray or in the evening, whenever you're best wired to do that. It could even be during your lunch break. Uh, spend some time reading James, reading through the book of James. And actually on the bottom of the sermon talk sheet that you got when you came in, there's this, this journal through James. And, and I, I've just found that to be a, a helpful process. There's different ways of reading the scriptures, and I don't really want to get into that, to that too much this morning, but there's different ways of reading the scripture. One, you could just be reading to make it through the content, right? People that want to read a whole book of the Bible, or just reading for the sake of understanding, knowing what's there. Then you can actually study the scriptures, where you can dig into the background, and you can look at sources like Bible Gateway, and you can begin to get a better grasp of the context um, that the Bible was written in, and the people that it was written to, right? So you can study the scriptures. Then there's this devotion practice of reading the scriptures. Um, and, and that's really this idea of like journaling through the book of James. It's this idea of um, like this week we're in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 18. And, and so maybe during the week you sit down and you just read that passage every day, right? And you might circle some stuff or you might um, underline or you might write down something that jumps out to you in that passage and you just read it over and over again. And, and, and the, the question here is, um, how does this apply to my life and what is God saying to me through this passage, right? How does this apply to my life and what is God saying to me through this passage? And I, I've just found that to be a tremendously helpful 
practice to develop in my life. And that's not reading just to understand, like to get the background, not reading to make it through it, but reading to listen for the voice of God and what God is saying to us today. Um, because the scriptures are one of the primary ways that God speaks to us and leads us in this world today. So I challenge you as we go through this, this series, it's broken down into sections. You'll see these uh, different sections throughout the book of James. And each week we'll be in a different section, different, looking at a different juxtaposition. And, um, and as we go through those, just begin just asking, how is God speaking to me? Because I said something the first week. Um, uh, 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 last week of this series, right? Um, first week, last week of this series. I said that if you apply the teaching from the book of James, right, your life will change forever. It's just that good. It's just that right. And if you apply it to your life, your life will change forever. Oh, that's up on the screen. I see people reading the screen, and I'm like, I can see your eyes. I'm like, what are people reading behind me? I didn't, I didn't actually look at this. I don't know what was on the slides. Yeah, if you apply the teachings from the book of James, your life will change forever. So I'm excited because I believe God is going to change our lives uh, through this powerful book. Let's pray, and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to be here and to open the scriptures and to read them. God, it's such a powerful thing that we often take for granted because we have Bibles for sale in our um, grocery stores. We have Bible bookstores. We have access to the Bible online. It's all around us. It's not like a precious commodity that's in limited number. And so, God, sometimes we take it for granted. But, God, I pray that through this series, the Bible will come alive to us in a new way, that it will be precious to us, that we will find ourselves diving deeply in the Scriptures to gain understanding um, because we realize that there is where we find life and hope and joy. So, God, I just pray that as we open this book of James, that you will speak powerfully to us, help us to understand and to apply it to our lives. Our lives will change forever. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so last week we, we began this in just right in verse 1, right? Um, we didn't go really any further. James 1, verse 1, and we see that James juxtaposes um, brother and servant, right? Here we have the brother of Jesus Christ who um, does not begin a book that he's writing to the church, right? To people who are fully aware of who Jesus uh, was and is, right, and had even witnessed some of his work, and, and somebody that was his brother would have had uh, extreme credibility in their sight. And James begins this book to the church, and he doesn't say, hey, I'm the brother of Jesus, so listen up, guys. This is what, this is what my brother would have taught, right? Um, he, and he doesn't do that, right? He, he, he totally plays down the fact that he's Jesus' brother, but the thing that he lifts up is that he was Jesus' servant. Right, And so he juxtaposes these two things, his brother and servant, in order to teach us humility. And really what he's trying to get us to do, he's laying this foundation for the book of James, where, where what he's showing us is that the way to wisdom, right, because James is filled with godly wisdom, the way to wisdom is humility. In a sense, the door to wisdom is opened up for us when we humble ourselves, recognize right, that we don't know it all, that we're servants of Jesus Christ, and that we need his leadership and guidance in our life, right? That's what opens us up to hearing from the Lord and being led by him. So as we enter this book of James, we got to remember that it's humility that makes this book um, um, something that we can that we can hear 
you know, um, um, and not just, um, not just hear, but to listen to, right? To, to be able to grasp it. It makes it something that we can hear and apply and our lives will change forever. So here we have James juxtaposing these two things. And we, we ended last week's message um, with three things, right? That, that it's possible to gain wisdom. That's what we said. It's possible for us to gain wisdom. And then we said it's a process Right? It's a process for us to gain wisdom. So we don't say, this is just the way I am. This is just my life. This is, this, I'm just stuck with this way, right? This thing about me will never change. God says, hey, if there's wisdom from the scriptures that apply to that area of your life, it is possible for you to gain wisdom and be transformed in that area of your life. So it's possible, but it's a process. It's going to take some time. But the third thing we saw was that it's powerful, that God doesn't just want to make a small difference in our lives, right? He wants to transform us in a major way. And it may look like small steps, um, but God is doing a work that will last to the end of our lives and beyond, right? And he wants to make a big difference in our lives. So it's not enough to say, I've come to believe, I've found a church, I sit here um, and, and I attend and I've checked that off my list. I'm good spiritually. God is saying, no, there's, a ch- there's some things I want to do in your life. There's things I want to challenge you to do. And so we're listening to him and for his voice through the scriptures that God can make that big, powerful difference in our lives that he wants to make. Now this week, we see in James chapter 1, verse 2, through 18, that James juxtaposes joy and trials in order to teach us this this uh, very important thing, um, that it's wise for us to choose joy, right? He juxtaposes joy and trials in order to teach us that it's wise for us to choose joy. Look at the way this verse, uh, this section begins in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy, right? Uh, undefiled joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The thing that, I, that, that we, it's easy to pass over in this verse is that he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. He doesn't say if you trace, face trials of many kind or just in case you run into some hardships in your life or uh, if you do something wrong and it just comes back to bite you. He's not saying that. He's saying whenever you face trials of many kinds, what he's teaching us is that trials and hardships in this life, in this world are unavoidable. Jesus puts it this way, in this world you will have trouble. And so James begins laying out this idea that in this world, we're going to have trials. And so those are just a natural part of our life. Now, for the people that James was writing to, there's at least two of them that James talks about the trials that they were going through. One was they were, the early church was facing uh, persecution, right? They were being persecuted for their faith. Um, some of them were being, um, they were being, uh, their homes were being um, uh, taken from them. Uh, their, their, uh, their, their communities were being um, uh, attacked by some. Many of them were being arrested because of their faith. Um, they were being uh, told to renounce their faith. And, and when, they, when they denied that, when they refused to renounce their faith, um, they began to face all kinds of persecution. People boycott their businesses. They couldn't find work. Um, and so they were facing all these different trials. And so that's why James actually begins his book in verse 1 where he says, 
James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So what we see in the first century is that the Christians were being scattered among the nations as their homes were being taken from them, as their, their community was being taken from them, as they were facing persecution, as many were fleeing for their life. Um, um, something began to happen, and that's that people began to move, uh, uh, not voluntarily, but they began to move because they were trying to maintain their sanity, their peace, their faith, right, and not renouncing it. They were maintaining that. But what we see uh, uh, that God was doing was that God was doing something powerfully through that persecution to spread the gospel throughout the world. So these people were, were, it was unfortunate that I'm having to move from my home, but God is using that in a powerful way to spread the gospel to places where it hasn't gone. So we see they were facing persecution. They were dealing with all kinds of poverty as a result. Um, But what James does is James doesn't say, um, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you are persecuted persecuted, right? He doesn't say that. Um, he doesn't say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you are in a financial hard spot, right? These are things that they were going through. But he says, when you face trials of many kinds, he generalizes it to say, hey, in this world, there's all kinds of things. There's too many for me to list. There's no way that I can list them. There might be some things that are common to all of us that we go through. But then there are some things that are specific to our situation that we go through. And what James is doing here is that he's recognizing um, the, the prevalence of, in the, the, uh, the, the, the fact that we can't avoid this, right? That it exists in this world um, because it's a broken world. But then the thing I love about what he does is he turns and recognizes the multi, multi-layered nature of, of trial, He recognizes that it's not just this external experience that we go through that becomes a hardship for us, but that something happens internally when we're going through that, and he labels that temptation. So what he says is, you're going to face these trials of many kind, those are unavoidable, but couched within that trial, there's temptation, right? So if I'm going through a financial hard time in my life, there's all kinds of temptation that exists couched within that hardship, right? The, the temptation to um, maybe manipulate or deceive or lie so that I can maintain my job or so that I can gain more for myself or even theft and things like that. Corruption begins to creep in when we go through financial hard times. So couched within that, there's this, this, that trial, there's this, this temptation, right? Or maybe it's a stressful or difficult time in your life and you find yourself uh, giving in or being uh, tempted by uh, behaviors that are not beneficial and ultimately are destructive. Maybe it's uh, uh, some kind of overindulgence or addiction um, or, or other things that are used to, uh, to kind of self-medicate the stress that we are going through um, that are not helpful, that are destructive, that are against God's will. We find ourselves facing those things, and here we have the temptation that's couched within um, the trial that we're going through. And so what James wants us to see is that, yeah, these trials are going to creep up, right? They're always going to be a part of our lives here, but couched within those, there's going to be temptation. Because if you look a little bit further... Uh, down in verse 13. This is the same section. Listen to what he says. He says, when tempted, right? So he begins talking about trials. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of many kinds. And he talks about those a little bit further, about how they produce something in us. They build something else up in us. But he says, when tempted, in that very same section, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot 
be tempted with, by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. He's laying out something that happens in all of our lives, right? That when we're going through a difficult time in our lives, that often it's that point, that moment that we find ourselves struggling even more to do the right thing, right? To follow God's will. Now, when things are easy in our lives, oftentimes, um, and if we're, if we're living by faith, we can, we, we're walking on, almost feels like we're walking on, um, um, uh, faithful, uh, you know, there, there's been times in my life where I felt like, um, I almost feel like I've arrived right? Things are going well for me, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not dealing with stress. I'm not dealing with financial hardship. I'm not dealing with this. And, and I feel like it's easier, easier, right? To live the life of faith. Not easy, but easier to live this life of faith. And what James is saying, hey, when those hard times come, there's going to be some temptations that are going to be couched within them, but that temptation is not coming from God. Outside my door, and this happens my, at my house, and this happens every summertime, right? This uh, spider, big nasty spider, builds this spider web because um, right, right by our door we have this um, just a front, the front porch light, right? And there's all kinds of bugs. Actually, it's pretty gross. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but um, uh, but within that light, so it has little, like almost like little. I guess they're vents probably because the light produces heat, so it can't be totally sealed. So the bugs get in it and they just they burn themselves up, and it's just astounding the number of bugs that collect in the base of this front porch light. Maybe yours might be the same and you never take it off to empty it. Um, but every so often I take it off to empty it and I'm telling you hundreds upon hundreds of bugs have gotten into that light and they've, they've burned themselves. But there's this spider that builds its web there, right? Because that spider knows that those insects are attracted to the light and that they're so attracted to that light that, that they're not going to even pay attention to the web. Right? And they're going to fly directly into it and get caught. And that's kind of what James is talking about here in this passage. When he says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me because God isn't, isn't doing that. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Right? He's saying that our own evil desires build a web for us. Right? It's before us. It's at the light. It's at the thing that we're being drawn to at that moment. We get caught up in it. And then he says, then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin right um and and so sin uh, yeah it gives birth to sin which has this spiraling effect right it gets out of control and then when sin is full grown it gives birth to death and so it's easy to excuse right sometimes at the beginning and say that was a small lie that was a small little white lie or nobody's gonna know that i did that or that's that's excuse but everybody does that Um, it's easy for us to do that but what this is saying that in that very moment through those very words we're being caught up in that web and it's going to give birth to sin and when sin is full grown it gives birth to death and so james is teaching us that that this there's this external trial, right? You may have had no hand in it. You may have not been able to do anything to control it, anything to prevent it. It was a fully external trial that you faced in your life, right? And, and you didn't ask for it. You can't see any consequence. It just came upon you, right? Almost like, as the Bible says, like a thief in the night. Um, 
And that's the way trial tends to work. But then temptation, the scriptures are saying, come from this internal desire. There's something within us that desires these things. And what James wants us to see is that wisdom is not the result of willpower, right? That's what our society teaches us. If I was only stronger, I could, I, could, um, I could endure. If I was only stronger, I could persevere. If I was only stronger, I would have the potential to change. But James wants us to see that it's possible, right? It's a process. It's powerful, but it's possible. Recognize that first. And it's not this, if only I had the strength, right? It's, um, if only I had the wisdom and strength of God, and, and James is saying you do, right? The wisdom for, of God is available to you today, and it's found in the Scriptures. And the power of God is available to you through the Holy Spirit of God. And so the way forward is made clear for us to walk through the process of gaining wisdom in this world. So it's not just about willpower, but it's about a wise way of living. And what the scriptures teach us is that we begin applying this to our lives. Seriously applying it to our lives. Because this is, this is at least what happens in my life. When I fail at something, a lot of times the conclusion is, well, I just can't, I just can't do that. Or it's, it's just too hard. And the Bible teaches us to begin setting um, one, we can set boundaries in our life. If, if, if something happens, if we find ourselves in the same uh, trial, giving in to the same temptation over and over again, we, we set boundaries in our life, right? We guard against that. We don't come so close to the light that we get caught in the web, right? It's to say that um, you, almost, you know, saying you fool me once, right? You fool me twice. You're not going to fool me three times. I'm setting boundaries in my life. I'm learning from my mistakes. I'm applying the wisdom of God. And I'm going to do differently from this day forward. And so we have to sit down. And that's part of this, you know, like on the back of that sermon talk sheet that you have where it says journal through James. It's that sitting down and beginning to consider, right, um, how does this apply to my life, right? And how can I set guardrails in my life, boundaries, so that I don't fall into the same temptation when I go through the same trial again, because here's how trials work, right? They don't just come once and disappear and you're done with them, right? It's not like the chicken pox. You get it once, right? It's not like something, it, it just doesn't work that way, right? It's, it, it comes, sometimes it comes like the rain, right? It storms in our lives. There's sometimes that, it, that, it, that trials come and we have a moment of peace and, and we begin to settle in and we get comfortable and here comes another one, right? But we, it's unpredictable, right? But James says, remember, in James chapter 1 verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when, whenever you face trials of many kind. And so James is teaching us that these things, these trials are going to come. But when we're in the midst of it, it's wise for us to choose joy. And so he juxtaposes this trials and joy. Now, James is fully aware that trials do not naturally produce joy in our lives, that nobody goes through a difficult 
point or a difficult moment in their life and they just celebrate as a result of it and have this just overflowing joy um, because of a hardship. That just doesn't happen. It's not logical. Um, James isn't teaching us that that's the way we ought to live. And he's not teaching us to be phony either, right? And to pretend and to mask the difficulty that we're going through. So James isn't saying, um, and this is often how this is interpreted in the scriptures, is that um, um, uh, from the scriptures by the church, often how it's interpreted is um, that when I'm around my Christian friends, right, I I don't say anything about what I'm going through. Um, I put my smile on my face, right? I, I I act like whatever I'm going through doesn't exist. Right, and, and I tell people it's okay, I'm fine. Um, and we pretend as though, right, that, that we have this joy, uh, and we're not, um, we're not vulnerable, nor are we authentic, which is one of the core values of Tri-Cities Church. And James isn't teaching us that to begin with, right? He's not saying, put this mask on when you're around people. When you walk out the door, he's not saying, put this on as you put on your clothing. Rather, he's teaching us that joy is different than any other emotion in in the human experience because joy is rooted in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and not in momentary things that we go through, right? That joy is rooted, and that's so important, is rooted in the accomplished work of of Jesus Christ. Think about any other emotion, right? Happiness, right? When something good happens in our life, we get happy because of it. That experience, that momentary thing makes us happy or sadness. When, when, when something that disappoints us happens, right? It, it can make us sad in a moment. And we can go from happy to sad just like, just like that, just in a moment. There's this, this um, um, and maybe this isn't a good example, but it's going to be our example right now. There's this house on Washington Road. If you go down Washington Road, like you're going towards Camp Creek, and there's this house. And I've always liked this house. Um, I don't know the history of it, but it sits on a lot of property. It's on the right side of the road. It's a yellow house um, that sits there almost close. As you get closer to Camp Creek, you're kind of going down that hill right there on Washington Road. Um, and I've always liked that house for some weird reason. It felt like an old country house right in the middle of East Point. I don't know why why I've always liked it, Um, but I I noticed this week as I was going down when a storm happened earlier this week, and this big, maybe oak tree, some kind of big hardwood tree that was just massive, fell on on this house, and it kind of tore off the whole front porch of this house, and 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 the, the thing is, I was thinking about this message. I was thinking about um, how fleeting our happiness can be, right? I don't know what, who that person is who lives there. I don't know what they were going through. But it's somewhere in my head, I imagine them uh, going to bed happy, right, while it's raining. They, they had a good meal, right? They had electricity um, um, in their home. They had maybe cars. They, um, the, you know, things were seemed to be going well, maybe jobs or retirement savings, because I've always assumed it was an old person that lived there. I don't know why. Um, uh, uh, maybe retirement savings, they had saved up, they were in a comfortable spot, um, but then this tree falls, right, and how fleeting that happiness can be when some kind of hardship like that that's unpredictable that you didn't see coming, maybe this has been your house for a long time, and how fleeting that emotion is. And the scriptures are teaching us that joy is much different from that, right? That joy doesn't change with the circumstance because it's rooted in something that has already happened, something that's already been accomplished. Namely, the accomplished work of Jesus Christ himself. And so we come together as a church and we celebrate Jesus. And we celebrate him on a regular basis because we need to be reminded that what God has done through Jesus Christ has happened. 
right? It has happened. There's no way to go back in time and change it. There's no way that the fact that Jesus has conquered death, the biggest enemy that we will ever know already, there's no way that we could change that, that that fact can never be changed. There's no way that power on on earth or in heaven or hell or anything else can change the fact that what God has done has already happened, right? And that our safety and security, which rest in God, has been accomplished already through Jesus Christ, and our joy is rooted in the fact that we know that, that we're safe with him. Right? We're, we're safe with him. Um, that doesn't mean that trials don't come, and that's why James is teaching us this, that trials are going to come, and they may feel like they have power. But in relation to God, ultimately they're powerless because God has already conquered death. He came and lived a sinless, perfect life, and he conquered death. Our experiences, right, in this world do nothing to the power of God. They merely have deceptive power that when we experience them, they try to, um, they, they, um, they, they threaten to steal our joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And the scriptures are saying, don't let, don't let that happen. Look in, um, James 1 verse 16, where James says this. He says, do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good, perfect gift is from above Uh, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, right? God cannot change. He is the same good God from beginning to end, right? He proved his love for us, his power over death, his power over all of our trials and circumstances through Jesus Christ. He can't change like shifting shadows, right? He's not, that's not moving. Um, as, As shadows, if you, um, um, when the, as the sun moves, right, what happens, right? The shadow moves as well. You can stand still all day in the same spot and your shadow is going to appear in different places throughout that day because the sun is moving. Shadows shift. And what James is saying is that the God is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. That he never changes. That what he's done in history has been solidified. There's no undoing it. And that now we don't be deceived, right? Don't, don't let these trials, don't let these hardships deceive you. That we are a people who have joy in the midst of them because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Now, it's, um, it's easy for me to stand here <laughs> and, and to say that and to preach it and to get excited about it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's exciting to stand before you all, people of faith, people that have come to know Jesus Christ. And I'm encouraged by that, and I can teach from the Scriptures. But the reality is this, right? All of us... Um, all of us are going to walk out of this door. <laughs> um, yeah, all of us are going out this door and we're going back to, right? We may be going back to some kind of hardship or struggle in our family, right? We, we may be going back to the fact um, that although I sang a song with joy and heard a preacher preach about some joy, I'm still going back to that same trial that hasn't left, right? It didn't go anywhere. Yeah, he preached, he prayed that prayer, you know, before he preached and said, hand it over to God. But that didn't take it away. It's still there, right? And all of us, when we leave here, we're going back 
And so I don't want you to hear me saying this and hear me saying it as though I'm like, yeah, just choose joy, right? It's, that's natural, right? You believe the scriptures, it's written right there. Choose joy. Um, but what, what I want you to hear me saying um, is that James is trying to teach us wisdom. It's possible to choose joy. And he's challenging us to say, hey, you believe in Jesus Christ. When you choose joy every day, you add integrity to your faith. What you say you believe, you're actually living out every single day. Your faith has integrity when you choose joy. He's saying it's possible. Maybe in the past you didn't experience that kind of joy. You didn't choose it. Um, you, you were, um, your joy was robbed by the experiences that you went through and the deceptive power of it that the scriptures talk about in verse 16 when he says, do not be deceived, right? Maybe that stole your joy, but you're saying to yourself right now, I'm not going to let it happen that again, happen that way again. So choose joy. And you're saying it's, it's possible, but it's a process. It happened before, but I'm making sure it's not going to happen again. And James wants us to see this, that your joy is worth fighting for because life is so much better when we live with it. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so the thing that we have to do is we have to daily guard our joy. If we're ever going to have uh, consistent, lasting joy, we must guard it. It, it. We will never experience consistent and lasting joy if we don't guard it. And so there's a few things we can do. There's a lot of things we can do, um, but I've brainstormed a few uh, uh, that I would like to share with you that we can do to guard our joy. Uh, one thing that we can do is we can uh, refuse to complain. Right? We can refuse to complain. When we're going through hardships or struggles or trials in our lives, what, what we um, often our go-to is to complain about them. And the only thing complaints do is they magnify the trials that we're going through, right? They make them seem bigger than they actually are. And in fact, through our very eyes, they make our God seem smaller. Right? And I, I think a good question for us to ask is, ask is, do I do more complaining than praying? Right? When I'm going through a difficult time in my life, do I do more complaining than praying? Because here, here's the thing we do when we pray, right? And, and you, may, you may look the exact same way. It may even be the same words as complaining, right? If you are complaining to God with the intent of trusting him with whatever you're going through, that is a prayer. So when you say, oh, God, I'm going through this thing again, right? Why did this trial have to come? Why does this, this doesn't seem to cease? I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. We see that in the, um, in the book of Psalms um, with David. Oftentimes he seems like a complainer, but he's complaining to God, right? He's saying, God, I don't want to go through this. This is hard. I, I, don't, I don't even feel like living right now. I'm in this dark season, this dark night of my soul. I don't understand why this has happened to me. I've been a good guy. We see that with Job, right? I don't know why this has happened to me. I don't know why I'm going through this. But when we see them complaining, right, they're complaining to, to God. So, yeah. We complain to God because his power is sufficient. And when we complain to God, it doesn't minimize the power of God. It magnifies God's power. When we complain to people who are ultimately powerless, friends, parents, relatives, spouses, 
we're doing nothing but magnifying the power of the trial that we're going through. And so if we're ever going to have consistent joy in our lives, lasting, we got to learn, it's a process, we have to learn not to complain but to pray. Second thing I think we can do to guard our joy is we can refuse to compare, right? We can refuse to compare. When we compare ourselves to other people, what we're doing is deciding my needs based upon what somebody else already has, not knowing what they had to go through to get it, not knowing through what, what they sacrificed to get there, not knowing um, um, what they had to give up. Uh, not knowing whether it's ultimately for my good or not, right? When we compare ourselves to others, we look at them and we say, I want, I want, I want. And the scriptures teach us over and over again um, that complaining is unhelpful and unproductive in our lives um, because we find ourselves, not complaining, what did I say? Comparing. Uh, comparing is unproductive in our lives because what we end up doing is desiring things that might ultimately harm us because they were never meant for us in the first place. And so that thing that I wanted so badly because so-and-so had it. I got it, (laughs) but I'm paying the price now. Name that thing, right? Maybe it's a bigger house, nicer car, better job, different marriage. And we compare and we look at what I ought to have based upon what somebody else has and it steals our joy. And the whole time God is saying, be content in me. Make me enough for you. And I will do things in your life. I will bring you a joy that makes your life so much better. So if we're ever going to experience this lasting joy, we must refuse to compare. The third thing I want you to see that we have to do is that we have to celebrate what God has done and who He is, right? We have to celebrate who God is and what He has done through Jesus Christ on a daily basis. So we wake up and we... Um, maybe it's a ritual or a reminder or something you put on the mirror in your house or a painting you hang on the wall in your house. Something that re- reminds you that the um, that your joy is rooted in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, that God had or, or has already done it, right? That God is love, uh, um, that God is powerful, that God is good in spite of what my situation says, in spite of the trial that I'm going through, that we set these reminders and rituals in our lives, right, that that remind us that God has done something worth celebrating and worth having joy. And so I'm able to uh, wake up with, um, and it depends on the kind of person you are. Some people, when you're going through something, you can't sleep, right? Because, um, um, yeah, because it's it, it's just there. It's on your mind. You can't get it off of your mind. Um, and other people sometimes can sleep through um, difficult times, um, but uh, but but it's still on their mind. It begins to wear them down. For all of us, when we're going through some kind of a major challenge in life, and some even minor challenges in life, right? They, they are always on our mind, and we can't get them off our mind. And what the scriptures are doing um, is that we're taking what's on our mind. Right, and, and we're, what the Bible says, casting our cares on Jesus, the one who can do something. 
He says, come to me. In the Scriptures, He says, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? He's saying, hey, trust me. Celebrate me and what, who I am and what I've done. And I'll exchange what you're going through with joy that is consistent and lasting and is beyond comparing to anything else in this world. You see, James wants us to see that it's wise for us today, tomorrow, and always to choose joy. Joy is a trademark, a hallmark of the Christian life. In fact, when we, and this is what that verse, at least in part with that verse, my favorite verse in Matthew chapter 5, uh, what it means where it says, um, um, uh, oh boy, uh, <laughs> uh, live before men and women so that they might see your good light and praise your Father in, in heaven. He says, let your light so shine so that, that men and women might see that light that, of God that's shining through you and praise your Father in heaven. A joy is part of that light that God wants to illuminate in our lives that, yeah, um, uh, people, friends, coworkers might say, I, I know that they're, I, I mean, I know they're, go- I know what they're going through. Um, at least I know what they tell me they're going through. Um, I know the struggle that this must be for them, but there is a Joy is not extinguished. There's a joy that's not going out. I don't understand it, but her God must be powerful. But his God must be powerful. James wants people to say that of us. I'm in the middle of a storm, but because of my rejoicing, in the Lord, my God, is powerful. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to celebrate the joy that we have in you. Um, God, you are a good God, and it's difficult for us to find joy always, especially in the midst of trial. But God, you've taught us through this book of James that it's possible for us to have joy in the midst of hardship. So God, please help us not to give up, but to go through that process that we might truly experience it, that you might do something powerful in our lives, that others might see it, and not that they might pat us on the back and say, you're doing a good job, or uh, look at you go, you're, not, you're unfazed. God, we don't want people to say that of us. We want people to say, your God is powerful, mighty, and strong. And so, God, may that be so. May that be true for us as we celebrate what you've done and who you are in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.